probably the first time I've done that since Brother Jay was here. But when it went through there, eyes like fire, face like the sun, is all referring to Revelation chapter number 1. And so tonight, we are going to be looking at part of Revelation. Does anyone need a handout tonight? If you need a handout for the sermon, you need the handout. If you slip your hand up, Mona's got those back there for you. And so if you've got that, go ahead and slip your hand up if you need a copy. And we'll get that to you. And then we're going to dive right in. I only have four pages of notes. We should be through by 8.30 probably tonight. Just kidding. It won't be that long. It's seven, 6.50 right now. We're going to be diving right into the book of Revelation. Before we get there, I want you for the next few minutes, I want you to think with me as we dive into the book of Revelation. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to give you a little background real quick. And then we are going to dive into the passage tonight. So Revelation chapter 1. And as you get there, just hold your place there. And we're going to read here in just a moment. The Apostle John, one of the sons of Zebedee. Anybody know his brother's name? William? James. James and John, right? And we know that John and his brother James, they wanted to be one on the right hand of the Father and one on the left, right? And uh, didn't quite end up that way, but they sure went through a lot. We look at this passage of Scripture and we think about John. He was known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He had a great love for the Lord. In fact, you read the Scriptures that he penned, you see the love of Christ throughout those passages. History tells us, or tradition, one of those two, tell us that John, in his, he pastored the church at Ephesus for a while. In fact, one of the seven letters to the seven churches we'll look at tonight was to Ephesus, which was very near and dear to his heart. He also took care of Jesus' mother till she passed away. He also kept preaching the gospel and was persecuted for the sake of the gospel. Tradition tells us that he was boiled in a vat of oil. And they tried to kill him to shut his mouth about Jesus Christ. It didn't work. He kept preaching anyways. And so they decided the best way to take care of John was to send him to his own little island and let him be there to finish up his days. No one would ever have to hear from the guy again he could preach all he wanted to to any of the scorpions there or anything on the, on the little island, but he could not proclaim Jesus Christ any longer. Now, w sometimes when you think of an island or something, you think, well, it's probably like Gilligan's Island, right? No, that was a TV show, okay? You don't have all those things, and you know, it's amazing all that they were able to do, and Yet they still couldn't get that boat. But just think about it. If the boat would have gotten, if it would have gone very far, there would have been no more show. That's why the boat couldn't go very far. And Gilligan had to keep messing up. But anyways, this isn't about Gilligan tonight. It's about John and the book of Revelation. The whole goal of the government was to shut John down and to let the world never hear from him again. He's banished to an island by himself. There's no internet. There's no television. There's no heater. There's no nothing. It's just him on an island by himself to spend his last days and die by himself. That's where John is at at this present time. We look at verse number one. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keeping those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. John to the seven churches which are in Asia Grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, 
and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his, and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos. Why was he banished to the island of Patmos? For the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, what thou seest, write in a book, send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake to me. Now think with me for a minute, church. This guy's been banished to an island to rot, to never be heard of again, cast away to spend his final days alone. It's the Lord's Day, it's a Sunday. And he hears behind him, I am Alpha and Omega. The one he served, the one he spent three years with, the one he saw on the Mount of Transfiguration and saw him for who he truly was, the one who Jesus told him to take care of his mother, the one who did several things for the Lord, who thought his days were done. God said, I'm not done. In fact, the world might think they're going to shut you out and no one's ever going to hear from you again. You're going to close my word. And you're going to pin words and you're going to see things that no one else will have ever seen. If we're being honest and we think about this, think about the sights that John beheld. Think about the world 2,000 years ago and just think about it today. Seeing a television would have been kind of weird, huh, for him? Seeing an airplane? Seeing a nuclear bomb? So sometimes you read some of the stuff that's going to unfold in the end days, and it's like, well, that makes, well, that doesn't make quite sense. Because he was using his vocabulary from his day, seeing things unfold in our day or even advanced technology from what we have. But Jesus came to him. He got to see him. He got to pin these words. And though the world tried to shut John up, John gave us one of the absolute greatest books in all the world, the book of Revelation. The word revelation means unveiling. You see, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we got to see the earthly ministry of Christ. On the Mount of Transfiguration, John, Peter, and James got to see Jesus for who he truly was. The book of Revelation is the unveiling of the King of Kings. Not the one who came to die for our sins, but the unveiling of Jesus. We read verse number 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as the flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass as they burn in a furnace, 
and his voice is the sounds of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp, my Bible turned two pages, two-edged sword, representing the word of God. Get that there? The word of God's quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. Coming out of his mouth, a two-edged sword, because he is the living word. You get that there? His countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Father, I pray you bless the next few minutes that we have here tonight. Pray that you'd help us as we look at this passage. Help us as we go into this tonight. Help it be profitable. I pray you just guide our thoughts and our thinking. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We could technically be closing out our whole series on all the books of the Bible tonight, but I broke Revelation up into two. And one of the reasons I did this several fold to go through the books of the Bible, one was to help you in your personal Bible study. The second reason was also to help me in the future. Now, listen to a goal of mine. This, is, this doesn't mean it's going to happen because the Lord can change goals. The Lord could come. The Lord could kill me. Who knows what could happen? He could take me, whatever the case may be. But if the Lord allowed me 50 years of pastoring, I would be 75, and that would be 50 years of preaching. I have a goal in mind. My goal is to preach through every book of the Bible at least once. I gave you this so you would have a good overview as we go through them. We're on the book of Mark on Sunday mornings. We're in Romans on Sunday night. We've covered several books in the past. We've got a long ways to go. But that's my overall goal to preach through every book. And I say, what are you going to do when you get into Ezekiel? I honestly don't know. And I don't want to save that till I'm 75 because who knows how I'm going to be at that time. But I also don't, I'm not going to be preaching that anytime soon. But it's going to be figured out at some point how I'm going to go through the book of Ezekiel. That's going to be, that's going to be probably the toughest one. But as we look here tonight and as we dive in, there is so many books that have been written about the book of Revelation. So many people, so much theology people have on the book of Revelation. Some people are very good about what they write, and some people are way off on what they write. And then some of it we don't even know, and people make up as they go. As we go through here tonight, I've taught you enough on prophecy in the past and going through it. You cannot take the book of Revelation in order by the chapters that it comes because it flips back and forth to different things. You must take the prophecy given to Daniel in Daniel chapter number 9. I call it the backbone of prophecy. It's mentioned in the book of Matthew, and it lays out how everything plays out. You take that, and you take the backbone of prophecy from the book of Daniel, then you take the events that are mentioned in the book of Matthew, and you take the book of Revelation, and you can add everything together. I'm not going to give you an exhaustive lesson in two weeks on the book of Revelation, because we could be here. Literally, someday I'm going to preach through the book of Revelation. I guarantee you it'll be at least 50 messages. It'll take a year to get through the book of Revelation, at least, minimum, if not a little bit more than that. But as we get here tonight, I'm going to give you a few thoughts, and then we're going to dive right in. And then we'll be on our way. So you have on your notes there, if you'll notice, you see there's a little, um, there's a bookshelf there. That bookshelf just helps you see where the book of Revelation is, the prophetic book. 
It's the events that are still to come. And so you see that there. You see how the New Testament's broke up. You see Old Testament how it's broke up there. You also see the seven churches and where they're located, right? You see that on the map there? If you didn't get a map there, is, the, is there a slide with it on there? There was supposed to be, but I don't think there was. So that should have been on there. But on your outline, you have a map there. That map is there. It shows you where the seven churches are located that these letters are written to. Let me give you a few introductory points, and then we'll dive into where we are tonight. Number one, Revelation is a book of prophecy. It's a book of prophecy. It's an unveiling of Jesus Christ. It's telling us of the events that are going to take place that really we have no idea about. You think about this, how do we know what the future is going to be like? You only know it from the Word of God. God's Word tells us what things to look for, tells us. And so this is a book of prophecy. The Bible also tells us in verse number 3 that blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy. It is a good thing for us to read these words. It's a good thing for us to study this, but may I help you out tonight. There are many people who will spend their entire life studying the book of Revelation, and that's all they do. If the book of Revelation doesn't get you a desire in your heart to tell people about Jesus Christ, and you go witness to more people, then you're not getting the whole point of the book of Revelation. The whole point of the book is to warn that judgment's coming, and that we need to be warning people, and this is what happens. Too many people get stuck studying it, and then they never go out and share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our number one job is to get the gospel out. It's, it, you can be blessed by reading this and studying it, but that's not what we major in. So as we go here, we see number two, that John is the human author. God used John, and we know that this has to be the Holy Spirit working. How is John going to know these things? Literally, Jesus came to him and showed him these things. And then number three, we see that he is writing to seven actual churches at that time. So there are many people, and we could go through so much doctrine and thoughts that people have. Dispensationalism, there's a big fancy word. How many of you know, when I say dispensationalism, who knows what I'm talking about? Could you raise your hand? Who says you don't know what I'm talking about? All right, and so I see that. That's okay. How many of you kind of know what I'm talking about? And so there are dispensationalists. There are hyper-dispensationalists. I'm definitely not a hyper-dispensationalist. And uh, so a dispensation, there's different dispensations of time based on Scripture is what some would say. And in fact, you look at the seven churches and they say that those are different ages within the church age leading up to the time that the Lord returns at the beginning of chapter number 4 and that there's different times. You could take different times and say this was this church age, that church, and different things. Is that a for sure I tend to think it's pretty accurate, but I'm not going to say that that's the actual case. We know here for a fact that this was written to seven actual churches at that time. And there's a lot we can learn and apply to our lives, which we will tonight. Now, number four, Revelation is the last book of the Bible written. Near the end of John's life, who was the last surviving apostle, it is the final book. It ends the scripture there is nothing else there's no books missing that someone finds they might find different books by the dead sea scrolls or different things like that the bible is complete all 66 books is exactly what god wants us to have you think the god of heaven would go this long and say oh i forgot to throw i forgot one now yeah if one of us were in charge yeah we would forget one he's not going to forget one it's all there John is exiled on the island of Patmos, and he saw a prophetic vision and was given this message from God for everyone who reads the book. The outline for the book is very simple. Look with me at Revelation chapter number 1, and look at verse number 19, and look at what it says. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are... And the things which shall be hereafter. There is the outline 
for the entire book of Revelation. Number one, write the things that thou hast seen. And in chapter number one, John talks about the fact that he was on the island of Patmos, and on the Lord's day, he saw Jesus Christ. So chapter number one, John wrote about the things that he saw. That's the first part of the outline. Number two, and this is all that we're getting into tonight. It says, write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are. To these seven churches, write down these things that they need to know. Write the things that you've seen. Now write the things I tell you to, to these seven churches. And we're going to focus our time tonight on those seven churches. And then next week, we will do the third part of the outline and go through a lot of heavy stuff in a short amount of time. As we go into this tonight, you see in your notes the picture of these seven churches. Let me help you tonight. The translators of the King James Bible, and you'll see right here in verse number two, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, there was not a literal angel they were writing to. Let me show you something to help you out real quick. Go with me, take your Bibles to Romans chapter number 10. Romans chapter number 10. Romans 10, look at verse number 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Look at verse 14. And how shall they then call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And look at the end of the verse here. And how shall they hear without a preacher? How can they hear the gospel without a messenger? The same word that is used for preacher is the same word that is used in Revelation chapter number 2 for angel. Don't miss the meaning here. The meaning is messenger. So, let's get this straight. There was not an angel for these seven churches. The letters were written to the ones delivering the messages in the church. So the seven churches, the angel of the church at Ephesus, the letter was written to the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Don't get confused there. That's all that's talking about. So why didn't they say pastor? I wasn't there. They're way smarter men than me. They know way more languages than I do. And that's what they put. So we'll go with what they put. As we look here tonight, we'll dive right in and see some things. We look at chapter number 2. and look at verse number 1. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? These things saith he that holdeth. So think about this. How would you like, and oh man, it convicts me and tears me to my heart to think of Jesus standing before John saying, write this letter to Brian at Victory Baptist. I know your church. I know what's going on there. I know how you act. How would you like the Lord to do that and show us? I think overall many of us would be very ashamed of the things that we do. And we got to and we'll just we'll just throw this out here right now as a church as a whole we got to clean up our act in a lot of areas. A lot of areas. We need to make sure as a church we got to make sure our gossip stops. There's too much gossip that goes around. Gossip needs to stop. Our uh, our love for one another needs to increase big time. We are God's people. You're a child of God. Those that you fight with are child, children of God. Get along. We all need to get along. And we need to have a team effort in what we do 
It's not about who's in charge or what happens. It's about doing the mission that the Lord has for us. We would be ashamed if we got a letter from Jesus about our church. And we're going to be working on several things in the future, and we'll talk more about that. Not tonight. We'll look at these other churches. I'm glad they wrote about these churches and not ours. Amen? So, he says, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who holdeth in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, I know thy works, and thy labors, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them that are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not and hast found them liars. Thou hast borne, thou hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and not fainted. Wow, what a statement about this church, right? So look at what it says. God says, I know your work. I know your labor. I know your patience. I know how you can't stand evil and those that do it. I know you do your best to keep your doctrine right in your church. You see that there? I know that you've done a lot of things and labored for my name's sake. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat at the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Whew! Man praises them for several things. And he says, I've got a problem with you, though. This church lost sight of what truly was important. Hey, they were working. Their doctrine was right. They labored. They kept the evil workers out, but they lost sight of why they were doing what they did. They forgot their first love. Who is our first love? God. We're to love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all our strength. That is the first and great commandment. So we see in this church at Ephesus, there was a lot of great characteristics about them. A lot of great things that they did. And so as we go there, letter A, we have Ephesus. We think of the distracted church. Sorry, I should have said that already. We have Ephesus, the distracted church. This church, God knew their works. They knew, he knew their labor. He knew they were patient. He knows they did all these things. They worked, labored for God. But the Lord said, I've got a problem with you. You've left your first love. Maybe tonight, as a Christian, this is an area you struggle in. Maybe you do the work of God. Maybe you're faithful to church. Maybe you read the scripture. Maybe you do all of these things in your life, but you've forgotten why you do it. You've forgotten why you teach the Sunday school class. You forgot why you sing a special in church. You forget why you serve in the house of God. Not for your own sake. You do it because the love of Christ constrains you. And maybe tonight you've left your first love and you're kind of like the church at Ephesus and you've got to get your eyes back on Jesus. Yeah, the work of God's important, but before the work ever comes, you're to love God. That's where it begins. What's the remedy? Well, look what it says. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. What's the first works? Love him. Tell others about him. Do those things. Repent. God, I'm sorry. I'm going to get my eyes back on you. That should be our desire. You know, tonight in our church, are we a distracted church? Maybe the doctrine's right. Maybe a lot of things are good. But if we don't love God and we don't put him in his proper place, then we're not doing what God's called us to do. Loving God matters more than anything else. You have Ephesus, a distracted church. Letter B, you got Smyrna. And Smyrna was a suffering church. We look at chapter 2, verse number 8. 
It says, unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. We've talked about the second death in the past, right? We know that second death is um, the eternal lake of fire, when death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. We see a suffering church. The city of Smyrna was a beautiful seaport town. There was um, the home of Homer, not Homer Simpson, the other Homer, and the temple of um, Athena. Rome martyred its bishop Polycarp here in the second century. Polycarp was a great Christian. You can read anything up on him, a great Christian. But this church, what we see about it was, you don't see the Lord getting after them. We see him trying to encourage them that they're going to suffer. What a letter, right? You see the, you see it mentions the, but are of the synagogue of Satan. This church is going to suffer, and sometimes you've got to understand something. Sometimes as a church, you're going to suffer for doing the right things. In all honesty, we really don't suffer today. We have it very well. Being fined for meeting in a building is not really strong suffering. But this church, they were going to suffer. That's what the letter was all about. Third one, the church of Pergamos. Church of Pergamos was the compromising church. You look at verse number 12, and it says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp, the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. This is, just read right here. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because that thou there them, thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches, to him that overcometh, will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone and a stone, a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Pergamus, the compromising church. Pergamus, the city's nickname was Satan's city back in that day. Now, like you got Vegas, Sin City. So Pergamus was the Vegas of that day. It was literally known as Satan's city. And because, it was named that because of its paganism and its idolatry. And Satan's seat probably in Pergamos here is referring to the cities. The city had an altar of Zeus that they worshipped, which is probably what this is talking about right here. And what Jesus tells this church is, you've allowed the culture to affect your Christianity. You've let that idolatry, you've let those things of that city creep into the church you've allowed those things to affect the doctrine that you're teaching he talks about Balaam and Balak and we go through all those things there's a lot we go through right there but this was a church that let the city there in 
influence them and they compromise on the truth. Where a church should be helping turn a city to God. It's opposite of the way it works. Our job is not to compromise with this world to get them into this place. Our job is to teach the truth and to get people to Jesus Christ, the truth. And so we see Pergamos here was a compromising church. So how do you fix it? You repent. Go back to doing what you're supposed to do. That's what we see right here. And you notice something, if you go back to the end of chapter number one, it says that those seven, it talks about the seven golden candlesticks. And the Lord threatened Ephesus, as we've read already, to remove their candlestick completely if they didn't repent and do the first works. We see it in our world today. There are churches that were doing the work of God, thriving doing the work of God, and one day they no longer exist. Why? Their candlesticks gone out. I'm sure God's given them chances and things. And maybe even, you know, and maybe even they're on life support. God could change that around and great things could still happen. But we must do what he's called us to do. And so the church of Pergamos was a compromising church. Letter D, and we got to keep on moving here. The church at Thyatira, Thyatira was a sinful church. We look at verse number 18. It says, And unto the angel in the church of Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works and charity, and service and faith, and thy patience and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say in the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works until the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as a vessel of a potter. Shall they be broken to um, shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Thyatira was founded under Alexander the Great. And this city was known for its trade, particularly um, the purple dye that was used for royal clothing. Purple dye came from this city. Lydia, one of Paul's converts in Acts 16, came from this area. And she made clothes, and you can think back to that. And what we see right here is we see that this church tolerated immorality. We see fornication mentioned. And they didn't deal with sin. And Jesus says, the ultimate judge, I'm not happy with what's taking place in my church. You've got to remember, at the end of the day, every church, this church, belongs to him. He has a right to judge it, to clean it up, and to make it right. He has the right to close it down and do whatever he pleases, because it belongs to him. This was a sinful church. They tolerated things that a church should not tolerate. And you got to understand something. God wants his church to be pure, without spot and wrinkle. The church should be a place, God's house should be a place of holiness, purity, propriety, 
it's not going to be a perfect place. There will be issues that come up. And when sin happens and sinful things happen, that sin needs to be dealt with. And there are many times in our church, and I know some in this room are like, well, have we ever dealt with so-and-so sin? You just need to go deal with your sin and get right with God about your sin. That would be the best thing you could do. There's a biblical pattern on how you deal with sin. Christians in the past, and you talk about church discipline and all those crazy things, the Bible talks about you start, if someone's offended or there's an issue with someone, some sin, you go straight to that person and try and deal with it. That's where it begins. Most Christians don't do that. Most Christians go and talk to everyone else in the church about what's going on with everyone else, and that's not how God designed it to be. You're supposed to go to that person. If that person will not get right and things don't get better, you should bring in a mature Christian. In a church, get the pastor, get a mature Christian, have them go with you. If that person doesn't repent and get right and move forward, it might get to the place to where it's got to come before the church and be dealt with before the church. But you don't start out by dealing with it in front of the church because most of you in this room aren't spiritual enough to be able to restore such an one. You're supposed to be spiritual to deal with those things. And if it ever gets to that point, we need to do it but there's a lot of things that none of you have any clue that go on often that I call things out. And if I never need to be called out for something, come call me out. And if I don't get right with it, take it to someone else, move forward with it, do what you got to do. Sin, is, sin ha- should be dealt with in a church. It should be and it must be, and we see that this church didn't do that. They tolerate it. We're not, to, we're not supposed to have a church thriving, living in sin. That's not how it's supposed to be. Let's go on. We're running out of time, and it's just about 7.30, and we still got a few left. Next letter, E, we see the church at Sardis. We see this was a dead church. Look at uh, chapter 3, verse number 1. And unto the angel in the church at Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, and that thou hast a, and thou hast a name that thou livest. And are dead. What is Jesus saying? I see your sign says you're a church, but you're not a church. You're dead. Look at the next verse. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If, that, if therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I come unto thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, and I will confess his name before the Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Um, This is the only church that receives only judgment from Jesus. Some receive just praise. Some get praise and some judgment. This is the only one that gets only judgment. They had a good history. They had a good name. But the reality was this church was not living up to the reputation of what they had been. And if you're going to, and this is the thing, you have to repent and go back to doing what God's called you to do. And you want to see a church not die? Get a church that gets going for God, repents of what they've done wrong, and gets moving for God. God can revitalize and strengthen a church. But it takes some work. And it takes acknowledging the wrongs that have taken place, too. Letter F, we see the church at Philadelphia. Verse 6 through verse number 13. Let's read, or verse number 7, sorry, let's read that there. And unto the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he hath the keys of David, he that openeth, and no man, sh- and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works, behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not def- um, denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not. But do lie, behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee, 
because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the earth to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more, and I will write unto him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. This church got no judgment. This church, the Bible says they had a little strength. It means they were a small church. They were not a big church. This church was uh, home to the Eagles and the Philadelphia Phillies and the Flyers. And No, I'm just kidding. It's not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You know, don't, it's not the city of brotherly love. Some of you thought that was the case. I know you did. And uh, that's not what, where this city was. But this church was faithful to the Lord. And the Lord blessed them and only had good things to say. And he said he set an open door before them. Now, I will just throw this out there. Those who believe in the church ages and the dispensation and all that, and in the church ages, some would say that you think of yesteryear, the great revivals that took place and the great awakenings and all those different things. Philadelphia and that timing kind of lines up pretty well. And then you see the last church tonight, the Laodicean church, the half-hearted church. And if we're being honest today, I'm just going to be straight up honest with you. This is where Christianity is today. Why I believe in the church ages is because where we live today, this is exactly where churches are today. Look at verse number 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Anybody like lukewarm coffee? Who likes hot coffee? Who likes cold coffee? Who doesn't like coffee? Okay, so let's. So those that don't like coffee, you're not a part of this conversation. So those of you who like coffee, does anybody like lukewarm coffee? Anybody like hot coffee that likes coffee, and who likes cold coffee? So you don't like luke? Why don't you like lukewarm coffee? Okay, how about our how about our soda drinkers in the room? How many of you like a lukewarm soda? How many of you like an ice cold soda? How many of you like a burning hot soda? No one, right? And uh, but no one likes a lukewarm soda. No one likes lukewarm coffee. God doesn't like it either in our Christian lives. Let's read a little bit further. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with thyself, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore, and repent. This was a wealthy city. They had tons of things. Where Philadelphia only received praise, Laodicea received only chastisement. They were a powerless church. And when you look at this, it doesn't mean, hot and cold doesn't mean saved or unsaved. That's not what it's referring to. It's referring to those in the church. And the Lord said, I'd rather that you were hot or cold. I'd rather you were cold to me and my and what I would have you do than for you to be halfway in and halfway out. And uh, when we look at this, when we look at this, uh, when we look at our world today and we look at the church today, we have a lot of half-hearted Christians who give God half. We have churches that are the same way. Churches say, we're good, everything's good, there's money in the bank, we're taken care of, we're good. And God says, don't you see how wretched you truly are? Don't you look in the mirror and see how you truly are? It makes me sick the way you live your Christianity. And Christian, tonight, God would rather you were hot or cold towards him than to try to be in the middle. And there are too many Christians that try to play the game in the middle, and God wants to spit you out of his mouth. 
still loves you. He wants you to repent, but he doesn't like it. The last three verses of this chapter, or the last three verses, we're going to look at these real quick. We'll be on our way. And uh, a lot of people use these verses for salvation. This is not salvation verses. Completely taken out of context. I think you can look at it and you could see that the Lord works this way. But these verses are used for salvation all the time and it's a wrong context. Verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The problem in the Laodicean church, the problem in our churches today, Jesus is nowhere to be found. That's the problem. How do you fix the problem? Are you ready? That verse isn't saying that the Lord's knocking on the heart of an unbeliever saying, if you open up your heart, I'll come in. This was written to the church. Jesus is knocking. I'd like to come back into my house. If you'll let me in, I'll come. I'll come and help you out. You let me in, I'll be with you. I'll help your church. He's telling that Laodicean church, I'm there knocking. Are you going to let me in? Pretty sad that the one who created the church died and gave his life to the church on the outside knocking trying to come in. But a lot of churches nowadays, that's how they are. May that never be that way in this place. May we never end Christians. If tonight, if you are half in and half out, get your heart right and get all the way in. Don't settle for halfway. Don't settle for lukewarm. Don't do it. God doesn't like it. He deserves better from all of us. Let's strive to live more for Him. Maybe there's something you can find out of all these churches to apply to your life. Maybe not. I think there's something for all of us there, and I think there's a lot that our church could pick up on and have a part of there. Father,